Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we just watch? Well, honey bun, we just watched Murder on the Orient Express, the 1970s version. All aboard for murder town. <laughs> Forget it, Anya. It's murder town. Take the last train to murder town and I'll meet you at the station. You could be there by 430 because I have your reservation. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> monkeys on the Orient Express. That's what we need. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, we watched the... Uh, uh, why, why, why did we watch this? We got to give a shout out. Um, Jim, you rock. You're the first person. Should we admit this? You're the first person to ever ask us to watch a movie. 
So we feel blessed. We feel honored. We feel so happy. So thank you for submitting your recommendation, which was Murder on the Orient Express, uh, the 1970s uh, film uh, directed by Sidney Lumet. Uh, we just want to say, like, all, all jokes aside, it was really nice of you to write us and to, to recommend something. And and for everyone else, uh, feel free to reach out. You can reach us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. We'd be happy to watch anything you throw at us as long as it's got a hint of mystery. And I'm not 100% positive that's the way you pronounce the director's name. Sydney. Is it Lumet? Lumet? I don't know. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> It's because I have a weird name, so I pronounce everyone else's name wrong as revenge. <laughs> uh, but anyways, back to Jim. Thanks again. Uh, we're going to try to do our best with this. And again, everyone else, hit us up with your recs. We're, he- we're, we're here. We're watching movies. We're, we'd be happy to slot your preference into our schedule. Uh, we talked about Sidney Lumet, uh, another person involved in this movie. I'm not 100% sure I pronounce his name. Uh, Paul Dane, perhaps? Paul D-H-N? I was shocked to find that the screenplay was written by him. Uh, of course, you, Anya, know him best as the screenwriter for a bunch of the Planet of the Apes movies. Ah. You're, you're obsessed with those films. <laughs> yeah, I'm the one who owns the box DVD set of all the movies. That's yeah, me. Yes, you are. The 27-year-old young woman. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> not you. <laughs> It's very odd that you're obsessed with this show and these series of movies that were released well before you were born. Uh, yeah, I know. What do you make of that? So <laughs> something very interesting about you. But uh, he was a very good screenwriter. Those movies, in case you haven't seen them, they make some very interesting creative choices. So it made me very interested to see what he was going to do with this uh, material. Yeah. So Murder on the Orient Express, this is an adaptation of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. She being this famed British novelist, kind of considered a titan in the mystery genre. Personally, this is this is sacrilege because I enjoy a good mystery. I, I never really vibed with Agatha. I never really vibed with her stories, except for this one. I love a good train murder. I love a good snow murder. And this has both those elements. And I remember really enjoying this book when I read it in high school. But it's been a while. And, of course, Agatha Christie famously disappeared for a period of time in 1924. Do you have any theories about that? Okay, so her husband was, like, a total dog, right? He was cheating on her left and right. He was, like, a he's like an aviator, you know? You know pilots, the stereotype. He was living up to that stereotype. And he, you know, he broke her heart. So I think it was probably she was just, like, done, feeling done with life and just wanted to get away for a while and, you know, if she could do that while making him look kind of like an idiot, maybe she was going to do that. I know she said, oh, I went and I became amnesiac, you know, like, I don't remember anything. Yeah, sure, lady. <laughs> I think she wanted him to look like, you know, leave him twisting in the wind for a little bit, you know, and make him think about what he did. And of course, she came back. She dumped his ass. Good for her. Uh, and she married a, a, a new, like, nice younger man who was, like, an archaeologist. So, and they got along very well, by all accounts. So, it, it sort of worked out for her, ultimately. So, is this, like, a strategy you'd applaud? You, like, to see more modern women disappear mysteriously? No, yeah, do a Gone Girl. <laughs> Kevin's, like, pulling his collar and sweating bullets. <laughs> no, I don't think you should do that. I'm just saying, like, for the time, you know... I can understand being really upset and just wanting to get away and then sort of like 
maybe a few days passed and people are looking for you and you realize it and you're like, uh, yeah, I guess I'll come back in a day. But I mean, she basically went to a spa, I mean, and hung out for a while. So I get that. I like, I could see like if you went to the grocery store and hung out of the store for a while, I could see me calling the police. Where's Anya? Because you're so possessive. <laughs> well, you, you shopping would be so out of character. You're taking care of a household business. What? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I'd be alarmed. See, this is like going to be the podcast that they play in evidence when they're like, your wife has gone missing, Kevin. What do you have to say about these terse exchanges? And you'll be like, oh, oh, I don't know. And I'll be like sitting on a beach somewhere like, do, do, do. I'll be reading my Agatha Christie biography and laughing to myself. <laughs> someone, someone will come by to pass me a soda and they'll say like, oh, what are you reading? And I'll be like, oh, inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, you're the sweetest fella in the whole world. And I would never do what Agatha Christie did to her mean husband. But, but I think our dog is interested in doing it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. If Lanny could bounce right now and, and start a new life, she would. Lanny is an escape artist, and she'll just jump over the fence whenever she can. So she just, you know, she, she, she'd pull an Agatha, Agatha Christie. In fact, actually, I believe that Agatha Christie, shortly after her disappearance thing, she it was like a, a dream of hers. They, they just covered this on BuzzFeed Unsolved, so I'm just ripping off information from there. But they they there was like a, she had a dream to take the Orient Express. This was back when, like, taking a fancy train was like your big goal in life. And I think she uh, ultimately went on that after the whole, you know, going missing thing sort of cleared her head. So it was able to sort of uh, stop her writer's block in its tracks. No pun intended. <laughs> I think Murder on, on the Orient Express is probably one of her best, best known works because it's, uh, it's, it's one of the ones involving a Mr. Oh, I'm going to try to pronounce this right. Mr. Hercule Poirot, who, whose personality is a persnickety man with a fancy, glorious mustache. I had a pretty good mustache when you met me. Yeah, you had a good, you had some good facial hair. It was cute. I like you now without the beard, but I think you could pull off an extravagant stash. A walrus mustache? Yeah. <laughs> Handlebar mustache? Oh, Yeah. You should, you, should, you should start looking up some of those old portraits of generals for inspiration. Just get some big mutton chops, get a big stash, go to town. You're walking around the butcher shop. Everyone's going to salute you. I think that now is a good time to, to let you know that uh, people can write to Anya and get her fashion tips on how men can get women. No. Because <laughs> these are the sorts of tips she can give you. I think everyone will be wanting their money back in like two minutes. <laughs> You'd create a whole world of men in mutton chops, walrus mustaches, like, carrying around pocket watches. See, like, I love, like, people, like, it's so bad. Like, I love you with, like, you, like, you have, like, kind of curly hair, and I like it when it gets kind of long and kind of crazy. And then other people are saying, you know, friends will be like, oh, like, nice, nice mad scientist hair. And I'm like, I think you look great. That was my request. <laughs> I've got nothing but slams for my hair. I know, but which is exactly cool. what you demanded. That's just maybe my taste is horrible. I'm sorry. Well, Kevin. you married me. No, no. It's <laughs> closed. Oh my god. <laughs> I just, I, I think I'm right. I think I'm just uh, ahead of my time. 
Who's, who's in this movie? All right. Lauren Bacall, Ingrid Bergman, Sean Connery, Albert Finney. Star-studded. Yeah, this is a definitely a star-studded picture. Uh, they got Vanessa Redgrave. Every Sean Connery. Did you already say that? I already said or, Sean you already Connery. said Mr. James Bond himself. But yeah, everywhere you look, you're like that. Is that you're like either like oh my god, it's that guy, or you're like is that that guy? This is a very. I will say we were talking about Miss Agatha Christie. This is a very faithful adaptation of the book, from what I understand, to the point where she was notoriously picky about adaptations of her work. She saw this shortly before she died, and she was like, pretty good. That was a pretty good adaptation. Her one quibble was that uh, Finney's mustache was nowhere near impressive enough to grace her her uh, famous sleuth Poirot. But otherwise, she was good with it. And from what I remember, yeah, it follows the plot of the book pretty closely. Well, I, I want to say that I found it to be an odd choice that the film began with a very, it seemed like a very, 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 uh, very lengthy expository sequence about events that took place years before the start of the story. It would have been really funny had they just never come up again. (laughs) No explanation. Yeah, you see basically the abduction of a little girl at a fancy New Jersey estate in the early 30s. And it's covering like old newspaper headlines and stuff. Seems going a long time. It does. Yeah. And if you if you read the book, if you're familiar with the story, you're like, ah, yes, I know where this is going. Um, but otherwise you might be like, huh. But I think it they could have handled it a little bit better. I feel like they could have done the opening credits with with that. Because the opening credits go on for a while too. It's it's like one of those like last movies that still did the credits up top as opposed to at the end. But I think they should have just had the opening credit sequence be the abduction of the little girl in New Jersey and sort of blended those two things. So it kind of like kind of catches your interest from the beginning and you're kind of enjoying the credits and seeing like what's going on. And then it can cut to like the movie. It is very leisurely paced. This whole thing is like a slow train to the Orient. I mean, this is they are they want you to they want you to stop at every scene. I would say the word is indulgent. It's like. This, the train conductor keeps stopping the train to show you, like, oh, look at this lush site in Hungary, and uh, you know, or look at these magnificent cliffs. And I think, I think you and I kind of encapsulate probably the two most likely responses to that. You're either going to kind of enjoy it and be kind of like, this is silly, but like, I, I dig the amount of like love put into this, or you're going to be like you and be like, tell a fucking train murder story. What are you fucking doing? I think. Those are probably the two reactions you're going to get. I think if you like a good train murder, you might like this one. If you're like, that sounds kind of dumb, you're going to think this is really dumb. Even if you like a good train murder, it takes a long time for the train murder to happen. There's that long opening sequence. Before that, after that, there's like long scenes of boats slowly leaving harbors. And there's a long sequence where Perot has some trouble getting a train ticket, and that's covered in great detail. Europe, a continent on the go. <laughs> Cut to slow boats moving across the horizon. Slow trains. I One thing I liked was when they are showing the Orient Express, and it's the most, like, 
over the top shot of like the whole length of the train panning back so you can see every single little rivet and you know steam coming off it and it's like the the music is swelling and it's getting so excited it's like look at a train <laughs> this is the best train in the world it's like in star trek the motion picture where there's a, a similar sequence where there's a long masturb masturbatory sequence showing how great the enterprise is and I thought it was really disturbing how this movie also had two random characters that they just introduced suddenly die a horrible death turned inside out on the transporter deck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that happens in Star Trek the Motion Picture, though. And one of those characters was going to be a replacement for Spock in the aborted Star Trek Phase 2 series. But we digress. Yeah. It, I think I think Star Trek the motion picture though is a very apt comparison for this film because it's kind of that for like mystery lovers like it's taking Agatha Christie is kind of known as like this master of the genre it's and it, you know it's kind of taking the classic story from that master of the genre and really kind of like leaning into it so a lot of love maybe slower than might suit a lot of modern day audiences I I, I feel like my attention span is just dead like I, it, I i need to be stimulated constantly and like this kind of that sounded weird um <laughs> i'm a busy man oh god fuck you <laughs> it it feels it feels a little bit slow at points um the parts i enjoyed i definitely enjoyed a lot i would say but yeah the opening because first you, you, we're not even on that just start on the fucking train we start with like Poirot on a boat with Sean Connery. We start with old newspaper headlines. Well, we start with that. But then we go, I'm talking about like the action scenes. Uh, we're on a boat, you know, then we're in a restaurant. It's like, just get to the train. <laughs> and then they get to the train and it's a long scene. They really, they really. Um, that ticket snafu. <laughs> they devote a lot of time to that ticket snafu. Yeah. And then like they're bombarding you with all the, you know, Bacall, Bergman, Connery. And it just feels like, you know, that once upon a time in Hollywood would mean with Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV. <laughs> like, look at that. Like, <laughs> that's what I felt like the whole time. Um, but anyway, Poirot is a fame in the universe of this film. He's a famed Belgian detective uh, who's, you know, very fastidious, very smart, kind of prickly. Um, and he kind of just travels around Europe solving different mysteries. So in this case, he doesn't set out to solve a mystery. He just wants to get a goddamn train ride. Maybe he's like, you know, like I just, you know, that's a that's a fancy train. I want to live in luxury. So his friend who is an executive at the Orient Express line sort of, you know, sets him up with a bed on the train at the last minute. So it's like the, the nice perks to being a gentleman detective back then, I guess. And then we see lots of shots of different people getting on the train. There's a humorous scene where a man is carrying cabbages and he drops some of them. Apparently the 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 creators of Avatar the Last Airbender took some inspiration from this scene with the my cabbages guy. And also I was thinking I kept thinking if this were cuz we all we we saw Terror by Night, which was a Sherlock Holmes uh Basil Rathbone train murder mystery, and I was just thinking if those cabbages, those are Chekhov's cabbages. If Watson were here, he'd be rolling on those cabbages. He'd be tripping. <laughs> but in this, it's a little more dignified. Nobody's tripping on the cabbages. Poirot does not have a silly sidekick. His sidekick is a physician in this movie, but he's just kind of like a normal guy who can help with like coroner stuff and like that. You know, he's not, he's not a, he's not a buffoon. <laughs> not a buffoon. There's no buffoonery here. And then even before the mystery starts, there's lots of shots of stewards and 
clerks and stuff giving each other meaningful looks. All very suspicious. There's something going on. It's like that Star Wars scene where, you know, they're going to be fed to that, like, thing in the sand. And everyone's, like, nodding at each other. (laughs) But, like, nothing happens. And then at last, the train very slowly, very slowly pulls out of the station. I just wish I just wish I could see such I mean like I used to ride the Amtrak a lot I don't as much anymore but I feel like we need that kind of energy at the Amtrak station cabbages jaunty music let's get everyone excited for train rides again that's what I want and listeners should check out Anya wrote uh, some stories for Business Insider oh, sh- about her experiences riding the Amtrak train no, don't, or don't I I just for me I mean frankly the thing that would make you know every time I'd go on the like I remember one time when I was like younger going on the Amtrak track and I had like business class and like my dumb ass like somehow in my mind I knew I knew this wasn't going to happen but somehow in my mind I almost pictured like a fancy like Orient Express thing with like fancy rugs and like a chandelier I and then like I was slightly disappointed when I got in there and it was just like slightly more leg room what's wrong <laughs> with me <laughs> it was embarrassing I remember being like, oh yeah that's great <laughs> I've never been on Amtrak You've never been on the Amtrak in your life? Never been on an Amtrak train in my life. Is there an Am- now, now we're in Indianapolis, so it's like just public transportation desert. Is 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 there an Amtrak station in Indy? I believe you can ride an Amtrak train from Indianapolis to Chicago. Okay. But not anywhere else. That's the only thing I ever looked up. I say we go and try to recreate this am- <laughs> this scene in, at the Amtrak station in Indy. We could have some guy drop a bunch of cabbages. We could set off a bunch of steam going off. We'll be you, banned from Amtrak for life. <laughs> we can look at each other meaningfully. Yeah. We can stare lustfully at the train. Mm. Talk about how great it is. Just stare at it. Is it. Sir, sir, please stop stroking the train. <laughs> You'll be escorted out, <laughs> thrown on your ass. Be <laughs> bound hand and foot and tossed <laughs> under the ash heap. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this movie is definitely a must for anybody who enjoys trains because they got trains in this and they're going to show them to you. Also, a lot of stuff uh, happening in a dining car. Yeah. Were you ever in a dining car when you're in your Amtrak adventures? Oh, I certainly was. I actually, uh, this was back, I don't, I they think they changed the, the system, especially during COVID, but maybe, maybe for permanently. But when I was um, on the Amtrak last, they did have a system where they would just seat you with random strangers in the dining car. And that, that is something that goes into play in the murder on the Orient Express where everyone's seating, seated just sort of with randos and they're all getting to know each other and like, you know, we're kind of all meeting each other. And uh, uh, I remember, yeah, I was dining with a Mennonite family and their little baby named David, who was very cute. And I said, you guys have a cute baby. And they're like, haha. And it was really awkward because they have nothing to talk about. But um, yeah, it was kind of cool to like meet different people and the food wasn't great, but it kind of had a nice ambiance to it. So I enjoyed enjoyed this. I think the Amtrak dining car probably is is nothing like the fancy. Uh, How was the food? Not not great. I, I just said that. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't anything to write home about, frankly. I think you probably get much better fare on the Orient Express, but of course it no longer exists as far as I know. So those days of fancy train dining are long gone. But, you know, the good thing is with my, you know, with my train adventure, I was going through Florida up to uh, New York City. 
So I didn't get stuck in a snowdrift, but that is what happens in this film. The uh, There's a beautiful... Were, weren't you once on a train that got stuck for some reason? Like some sort of electrical shenanigans? Yeah, there was electrical shenanigans when I was coming out. You know, we, we, were, we were in New Jersey, and me and a group of other people, including like an antiquities dealer and <laughs> and a guy who does like security for like college companies, like college test scores, uh, all got on an, a lift ride together and drove off sounds like a buddy picture it sounds like a mystery right the antiquities dealer accidentally gave me the wrong bag and now i have a mask and people are trying to like kill me over it you know but no that didn't happen but they were very nice that, so this has kind of happened to me but in my case i was able to just get out of the train in new jersey get a ride share in this case these poor bastards are just stuck in the middle of europe in a beautiful pristinely shot snowdrift, and they're not going anywhere and then it gets worse. <laughs> then, you know, you can never have fun without somebody dying. Yeah. Somebody dies. Someone's going to get murdered on this train. And somebody does. Who? A man named, a hilarious name, Mr. Ratchet. <laughs> In my youth, that that meant somebody was kind of like, you know, ratchet meant kind of like bad or like kind of poorly constructed or kind of messy. So, and that's kind of what this guy is, basically. Uh, he's been stabbed to death, multiple stab wounds. Um, the doctor and, oh, sorry, uh, the train employees in Poirot discover that he is dead in bed. And they also figure out another salient fact about Mr. Ratchet. What was that, Kevin? Well, believe it or not, his Christian name is not actually Ratchet at all. <gasps> it was a non de plume. It was an assumed name, a pseudonym, if you will. He's actually a mob boss who orchestrated the murder of the baby in the Armstrong case. Oh, my God. The Armstrong case is what we learned about in great detail at the beginning of the picture. That's the baby that was kidnapped and killed. It was basically a riff on the Lindbergh case. Yeah, much, which is also the case in the book. It's basically ripped wholesale from the Lindbergh case. Fancy family in New Jersey, military background for the dad, disastrous effect on the household staff. In, in, in addition to the family of the baby who was killed shortly after the kidnapping and found dead. And at this point, the structure of the film started to remind me of the movie version of Cats, which, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, basically a variety of cats come out more or less one at a time and say, hey, I'm a cat with a personality. I'll do a tune. And then the cat is like escorted away. And then another cat comes out and says, I'm a cat with a personality. I'm going to do a tune. And so without the singing, that's basically what happens here is, is a variety of people. We meet them and we learn they all have some connection to the Armstrong case. And then they're, they're like ushered out. And then we meet someone else who has some sort of connection to the Armstrong case. Do you want to tell us anything about this parade of people? Well, I will note that fortunately this one has far fewer CGI assholes than cats. So we at least are getting the benefit of that. <laughs> And and no and no cockroaches with human faces <laughs> that are killed. <laughs> but yeah, I see your point. Basically, it's like a big, a big kind of like, you know, spinning wheel. Who's it gonna be? Because they're all linked. And it, and it doesn't really seem to to build to anything. You could recut this film so that we meet these suspects in any order whatsoever, and you'd have the same story. Yeah, I think I think the I I remember the book is sort of similar, and you kind of like when you're reading it, you're like, well, which of these guys did it? You know, because they all have a reason. Um, so I mean, that's this certain like mystery fair to that too. But because 
for reasons that become clearer later, because there have to be basically 12 suspects. Uh, you, you, you kind of don't really have necessarily a ton of room in a movie to let each of those people breathe a lot. And there's some who are definitely more memorable than others, you know, to give, to give a shout out. I think we talked about Ingrid Bergman, Anthony Perkins, Anthony Perkins, for sure. Anthony Perkins is great. He's the first one you meet. So you're kind of like, Ooh, like, Whoa, things are good. He, um, he is the uh, the son of the prosecutor in the Armstrong case, and he kind of goes and reflects on meeting Daisy Armstrong's mother and how nice she was to him and how she gave him tips on his acting, you know, even though she was going through a, such a hard time. And, like, you really, like, it's a kind of an emotional scene because you're, like, you don't, he feels like a real person. He doesn't feel like he's acting. Can't say that for everyone. Some people, like Sean Connery, are like, I'm a... I'm a, you know, I'm a big British guy. Ah, like <laughs> Anthony Perkins is subtle. I, I dug that. What did you think? I thought Anthony Perkins gave the best performance. Speaking of Sean Connery, I remember you and I almost came to blows arguing over who had the least convincing fake mustache in this movie. Sean Connery or Albert Finney? Where'd you come down on that? So Albert Finney, at least, is supposed to be playing a guy who has a ridiculous mustache that might even look a little bit fake, right? Because that's who he's playing. He's playing Poirot. So if you want to be a little avant-garde, fine. Even if it looks kind of fake, it's kind of the character's kind of cartoony anyways. But Sean Connery's mustache, that was, that was silly. Did the character even need a mustache? Then why couldn't he have just grown one? Was he like doing uh, some movie? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, just it. It was. It was. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, and then you find out that Sean Connery is, uh, the war buddy of the dad of Daisy Armstrong. Um. Uh, Bacall. Lauren Bacall is in it. She she plays Hubbard, Mrs. Hubbard. She's just kind of this Gabby American widow. She's just coming in and, you know, kind of like trying to help with the case. But, you know, it's Lauren Bacall, so you know she's up to something. Ingrid Bergman uh, actually got an Oscar for her role in this picture. She played Mrs. Olsen, always trying to talk about Folger's coffee, which I felt was kind of out of place and bizarre. <laughs> uh, Product placement. <laughs> she was a very uh, hyper-religious uh, Swedish woman. Yeah, she seems very traumatized. So, you, you, you know, you, you don't immediately know if she has a connection to what's going on, but you, you know she seems very uncomfortable. Probably because they have a Dunkin' Donuts coffee on the train instead of Folgers. She, she, it's odd how much she talks about Folgers coffee in this movie. Seemed out of, I mean, was, was that in the book? <laughs> Agatha Christie was getting those sponsorship deals left and right. And uh, uh, Bissette and Michael York play a young couple. He's a diplomat. She's his fancy wife. There is a, there's an older lady uh, who is a, sort of a princess, and she turns out to have been friends with the mother of Daisy Armstrong's mom. Uh, and then a, another a German lady who is the maid to the princess. She also has her own baffling agenda. Uh, there's a long-suffering butler of the uh, ter who turned out to have been uh, in the same regiment as uh, Daisy Armstrong's dad. And, and to note, one thing that we are not making clear, it was... It was not just the murder of Daisy Armstrong, but um, what happened was she was kidnapped and murdered, this little girl, 
then her mom who was pregnant with uh her brother you know died and basically had a ba- it was so stressed out about that situation that she died and and miscarried the baby in the process and then the dad killed himself and then also one of the maids involved who had been kind of under media scrutiny also killed herself so there were a number of deaths linked to the Daisy Armstrong murder so it was a huge fallout so that is to say a lot of people might have been affected negatively by this uh this Mr. Ratchet so this brings to mind what you were talking about you fantasizing about riding on the Orient Express mm-hmm. What would your mysterious backstory be? What would your connection be to a notorious crime case? Oh, I love it. Okay. So I would be this sort of like chipper American reporter who's like really excited just to be writing some sort of like women's feature about riding the train for the first time. And, you know, I seem kind of a, seem kind of like, you know, sweet and like, oh, you know, she's just a simple American. But then I, it turns out like, you know, maybe I, I was covering in a you know in a big city like Chicago I was covering the crime beat and my fiance was was killed under mysterious circumstances and you always see me kind of like looking down the hallway of the train you know in shadow well I wonder if you actually killed your fiance and did it in such a way to blame it on the mob that's my hunch wow <laughs> thanks a lot <laughs> In a lot of these movies, there's always like a nondescript nerdish character who is like the mob's accountant or the mob's bellboy or something. Who, in the course of his work for the mob, he's gathered all this incriminating information and the police are out to uh, get him, to turn him. Mm-hmm. So that would be me. Would you have a bunch of papers stuffed in your briefcase that are all falling out? That's and right. Oh, excuse me, I need to get that. You'd accidentally bump into the waiter, glasses would go flying, you'd go running out, be like, what got into that man? And then, and then, and then like, and then Poirot would be like, or who is getting into that man? <laughs> would you, as the crime reporter, be trying to get me to spill what I know to you? Yeah, because maybe then I could finally solve the murder of my fiance. Who you killed yourself. I didn't kill anybody! <laughs> That's what you'd like us to believe. I'm not going to answer any more questions without the presence of my lawyer. <laughs> but Kevin, this is in the this is in the old times. This is before CCTV footage. This is before phone records. You have nothing on me. <laughs> I think your fiance was a wealthy scion of a wealthy family. He's going to leave you a lot of money. Then he discovered something about you you didn't want him to know, and he was going to call off the relationship. And so you needed to off him before you had a chance to do that, before you had a chance to change the will. Well, you know what, Kevin? I think your little bumbling act is just that, an act. I think that you're actually the real crime boss who's rumpled his suit and messed up his hair like Kaiser Soze to uh, fool onlookers. And they'll let you off the train and they'll be like, okay, he gave us everything he knows. He doesn't seem like that bad of a guy. And then you'll stride off with your goons. This attempted at deflection is frankly pathetic. <laughs> Are you asking us to believe that the mob would try to get back at you by killing your boyfriend? Why wouldn't they just kill you? They wanted to leave a message. He was, <laughs> I was supposed to be in that car, not him. Isn't, isn't the message, wouldn't it be a better message if you report about us and investigate about us, we'll kill you? Now that we're, not that we're just kill somebody you happen to know. Uh, I was supposed to. You're playing us for fools. <laughs> 
You're insulting our intelligence. No comment. <laughs> That's all you'll get out of me, copper. <laughs> but meanwhile, back to how to lose friends on a train ride, the movie. Um, what ends up happening is Poirot calls everyone. Basically, you know, it's a mystery. It's a train mystery. You know, everyone's going to get called into the same compartment. And Poirot's going to read them all for filth and just say all the bad things about each of them and their employment history and why they'd have a reason to murder. You know, you know, you know, that's going to happen. It happens in all the Thin Men movies. We're seeing that here, too. That's what you did when you met my family. <laughs> that is true. Why each of them sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and is a murderer. <laughs> Do you think that was related at all to the fact you were disowned shortly thereafter? <laughs> sure, they're just a coincidence. Yeah, it's probably not related. <laughs> um, so in the meantime, Poirot, before we get to the, before we spoil it for you, Poirot discovers like some clues, like there's threatening notes that have been sent to Cassetti, a.k.a. Ratchet. Um, there, he's kind of been on the run seemingly from something for a long time. Then you have all these people connected to the Armstrong family clustered on a train at the same time he knows something's up he knows that there is some sketchy shit on this train and you know he's commissioned by the train executive to find out what the fuck happened you know until the ukrainian or yugoslavian or whatever authorities bust in and you know haul everyone off to jail you know the orient express is a very discreet genteel train service they don't want to have an incident so Poirot's sort of working against the clock to figure out what the fuck's going on. And he comes up with a cr pretty crazy solution. Basically, everybody on the train who had a connection to Armstrong, at some point, one of them had reached out to the others and said, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't all of us get together and kill him? Not just one of us. Because if one of us did it, it'd be that'd make too much sense because there'd be possibly we could get away with it. Let's all do it. So they all get on the train and then there is like a line of them outside the man's door. They each come in, stab him once. And it's like a line of like, like you're getting a, a refill at Stuckey's. Just a line of people coming in, getting their stab in, and then the next person comes in. I like to imagine that the genesis of all this was a Facebook group that said, uh, Cassetti sucks 2020 or something. <laughs> That's how they get busted later on. They're all part of that. Do you know 11 people who you could do a murder heist with? It's an odd question because I don't think anything like this would remotely happen in real life. I like. So you're saying you don't have friends? Yes. <laughs> I like mysteries where the solution is something that somehow is a reflection of how real people would actually act in real life. I can't imagine there being a line of people each going up to a person and stabbing him. It's called restorative justice, Kevin. Look it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the conspiracy lady, conspiracy theorist inside me enjoys this because it's like, ah, yeah, everyone did it. And also they all had a huge reason to hate this guy. Sort of like, you know, you, one of the things when you follow true crime is like you see how many lives are shattered after something really heinous happens. And the idea that some of those people who are victimized by a person's bad actions get together and stab him to death over it. It's kind of satisfying. Maybe I'm a monster, but there we go. Well, I mean, I would say that, you know, in this case, maybe one person who is really gearing for it gets the glory, you know, because here's the thing. Poirot does not immediately figure out everybody's connection to 
the Armstrong. For example, the number one person, Lauren Bacall. She's much closer than she appears. She's taking on the guise of an American divorcee named, or American widow named uh, Mrs. Hubbard. And uh, she doesn't seem to be connected at all. She seems to be the one person that they can trust because she's kind of saying, yeah, I saw this like strange woman in a red evening gown in the hallway. And, and you know, turns out she's actually Daisy Armstrong's grandmother. It was her grandbaby who was murdered, her grand, her, her daughter who died, and, you know, her family who was wiped out. So, you know, if they just sent in Mrs. Hubbard, Lauren Bacall, to do this, the train would have gotten restarted. Poirot probably wouldn't have been able to figure out in time that she had a connection to this guy because she just seems like this tourist. And they wouldn't have had everyone involved. You know, the more people who are involved, the more someone's likely to crack. I mean, uh, Mrs. Olson seems like freaked out by the whole thing. She only stabs him a little bit. and <laughs> Like she doesn't seem into it. She seems like she's going to crack at any moment. And supposedly the stage is set for the stabbing because Anthony Perkins is this man's butler. He drugs him. Why not just have Anthony Perkins at any point in his employment for this man give him drugs that kill him? Then you wouldn't get to the 12 because then it's 12 a, is jury. a jury. Yeah. Jury. And the number of apostles. <laughs> and the, a dozen. So they need a dozen people to do this because then it's symbolic of a jury. But the thing is, you could have the jury convene at some point and say, we're going to, we want this to happen. And then you could commission one of your, one of the 12 to go out and do the deed. And it seems like Lauren Bacall and Anthony Perkins by themselves could have probably tag team it where they, Anthony Perkins has an alibi in the kitchen at the time or whatever. Lauren Bacall stabs him to death and, and then they keep going. I mean that because the more people you have, it's just, it's a, it's a narrow hallway, folks. It's a narrow hallway. People are climbing over one another. It's it seems like a bad and idea. The murder sequence is to me seems so absurd as to be funny. There's like this twelve. There's a, a line of twelve people each standing in line patiently to take their turn. Don't you feel like you and I would be on this train? We'd be like you know like hanging out doing an adventure, and like we'd see a line in the hallway at two a.m. and we'd be like, oh my god, they're probably making popcorn or something for the guests, and we'd get in line. <laughs> <laughs> they give us a knife like oh is this for the cake thanks ah! no! No! <laughs> oh my god no! it's a murder no! train <laughs> it's a murder no! train. <laughs> no! it's not really happening Kevin. oh thank goodness it's okay don't worry having a flashback to our honeymoon <laughs> should be more discreet on you that murder we accidentally participated in <laughs> there was blood everywhere god you don't don't I have to cut all this out. Oh my god! Yeah, that's that's that. You know, I just this this is a bad idea. I think it is. Maybe brilliance the wrong word, but it's good. Be, like it's a good idea to do the murder in a place where jurisdiction's going to be a huge issue. Basically, they're in the middle of Europe on a train going who knows where, so it's going to be hard for whatever authorities to really like secure the crime scene and interview all the witnesses. But having the 12, you know, it's the, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta cut some of those people out of this plot. That's my, that's my hot take. And they can have the sad, like if, if you were a guy who really wanted Cassetti dead, wouldn't it be pretty much just as good if you heard, oh yeah, the plot you were kind of a part of worked. He's dead. Like you don't need to necessarily be there. Or at least in my opinion. And this is like uh, 
the 30s. So how did these people communicate to arrange all this? Did they do it in writing and letters? Facebook groups, baby. That's what, how things You're happen. very confused. <laughs> I know you're a young thing. But this was before Facebook. So they like what, Skyped or something? Did they like do Gchat? <laughs> it seemed to be an, an awful lot of letters or there'd have to be a lot of very expensive and lengthy long distance phone calls. MySpace? <laughs> Carrier pigeons, ravens, <laughs> elaborate smoke signals. <laughs> and and basically, like, I mean, I think you wrote in your notes that you you like the clever solution to the mystery, but you don't like that it's not very human. Mm-hmm. But basically, Poirot's opinion is it's almost clever enough that he's kind of like, and, and justified enough in his opinion that he's kind of like, yeah, I figured it out, but... I'm just going to tell the authorities that some guys broke onto the train and killed this guy. There was the mafia. Yeah. Even though I know it's not true. You had an idea for an alternate ending. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll explain that in a minute once I explain the ending. So, yeah, Poirot is saying, good job, guys. I'll give you one pass on this one. <laughs> and everyone looks really relieved. And then the train goes on, basically. That's it. You know, he's he's basically thinking... Justice, in a way, was served because this guy was such a piece of shit and, you know, all these people had a decent reason for doing this. Uh, I'll I'll let them away with one warning. And then the train, you know, we finally see the murder, I mean, the murder train, the Orient Express itself, start plowing through the snow and chugging off to, to more adventures in the future. Hopefully no more murders, but maybe some more pleasant times. And I thought it would be really funny if then all of a sudden you saw a bunch of like mafiosi types. You saw the the cast of the Sopranos, you know, slogging their way through the slow snow away from the train, you know, with a with the murder weapon in hand. <laughs> <laughs> like he just he just roasted all these poor train members who had nothing to do with it and like made up this whole crazy story. And they're like, we didn't like, OK, we'll just go along with it. Yeah, thanks for not telling on us. And then like the real bad guys just like walked away. I think in the book and in the movie, they say, like, there's no footprints leading away from the train. So it wouldn't make sense that somebody got on, you know. But maybe he was wearing snowshoes. Ever think about that? Wouldn't snowshoes leave footprints? What if it kept snowing? I think in the terms of the, I think it didn't snow at the appropriate time. I think basically they say that the murderer, had he fled the train, would have left prints. So I guess not. But maybe he ziplined. Ever think about that? He sees the train stranded. Thwunk! He shoots a big arrow that can pierce metal but that that has like a big chain you know like a like a cord or something and then he gets you know he gets up he's in a tree and then he he puts you know like a, a, a harness on and then he slides over to the train slips in the window does his does this deed uh takes the murder weapon and then he's really strong so he just kind of climbs back up the rope And then I guess he has like a, it's a, it's very technically advanced. So he has like some sort of mechanism within the arrow to like, like release its barb. And then he pulls back the, the cord. And what then are, it, what are you doing? <laughs> trying to what, make, what are you doing? I'm trying to make it work, babe. <laughs> trying to make my mafia theory work. <laughs> oh, 
kind of <laughs> kind of quality listening experience everyone is getting <laughs> having me write bizarre uh Agatha Christie fan fiction. What's your final uh takeaway? Well, Kevin, I definitely understand that you didn't like that this was a bit slow to leave the station, but I certainly appreciated this railroad rogues gallery. And thanks again to Jim for your recommendation. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.